As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Joelle Steiniger. I'm Matt Goldman. And I'm Michael Saka. Today we talked to Andy Sparks, co-founder of Mattermark. Guys, what did you think? This was a really interesting conversation. There was a lot of different topics covered, but one of the points he made that I found really interesting is that he said they feel like they're not necessarily competing with direct competitors as much as they're competing for their customers' attention among everyone trying to sell them everything. And... It's something that's kind of obvious, but you don't think about it that often. And it's so true no matter what industry we're in. So I like thinking about that a little bit. And Andy had gone through a lot of positions since they started. He said every few months he's actually changing positions. And one of those roles that he was in was the sales team. He doesn't do that anymore, but it was interesting to hear how they built that team and the camaraderie that they share. 
going to this secret bar in their office every day to have drinks and share tactics to hit the universal team goals was really cool. Like when he was doing sales, he had two goals that he wanted to create, obviously create business and bring in sales, but he was actually doing customer discovery too, which I thought was really interesting the way that he looked at that. So let's get into it. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hover makes purchasing and managing your domain simple and easy. This week, I talked to Max from Y Decision about how many domains he actually has as an account on Hover. So right now I manage 104 domains on Hover. And, and those are uh, all your own? There's some of them are mine. Some of them are our clients. Domains that I that I manage. All in all, 104. Wow. Go to hover.com and use the code satisfied customers to get 10% off your domain purchase today. HostGator is the easiest way to get your business up and running fast. I talked to their marketing coordinator, Kyler, about the history of their mascot, Snappy. He drew, I think, one of the original ones, but now we have a designer who made it prettier. I think we've gone through three, four, maybe five iterations of Snappy from a really husky snappy to a nice slender hey what's up i'm i'm a cool alligator snappy go to hostgator forward slash promo forward slash rocket ship to get 30 percent off today you've heard me rave about CodeShip before it's because they're an incredible team building an amazing product that makes my days happier and my code more reliable recently they shipped an incredible new feature it's called parallel ci and it allows for faster testing than ever before. Early access customers like Product Hunt have improved their development speed tremendously. If you haven't yet, tell your dev team to start a free trial. They have a super generous free plan, and they also offer 20% off three months to all Rocketship listeners. Sign up at codeship.com forward slash Rocketship. Give us the, the kind of overview of what Mattermark does. Yeah, so Mattermark is a software company where we're collecting data on a ton of private companies. Uh, and then we turn around and sell that data either in the form of our interface or in the form of an API to a lot of different businesses that are looking to identify fast-growing uh, private companies. Yeah, so like half of our customers roughly are investors of some sort. They're either venture capital firms, they're private equity, they're investment banks, hedge funds. Um, and the other half of our customers are all sales and business development teams that are either trying to identify fast-growing companies because they want to sell to them or they want to partner with them or something like that. Now, you guys have seen some rapid growth over the last, I guess, year or two. I'd love to, to hear where are a lot of those leads coming from? Is it inbound? Has it been an outbound sales effort? What does it look like on the inside for you guys? Yeah, so up until only a couple weeks ago, all of our sales was just dealing with inbound leads. About a year ago, I experimented with doing some outbound, trying to drum up interest among some VCs that uh, we hadn't gotten onto Mattermark yet. But almost entirely up until this point, we've done uh, we've been handling inbound leads. So we hired a couple sales development reps a couple weeks ago who have now started to do outbound. Um, so for anyone listening that's been starting to get emails from from Max or Thomas, that's what's going on. <laughs> So kind of walk us through that pipeline when people come in, what are they signing up for? And then what did the conversation look like when you reached out to them? Early on in Mattermark, let's see, we had a 30-day trial where at the end of the 30 days, if someone was, hadn't canceled their account, we would just automatically bill them. It turns out that's a bad idea because there's a lot of people that forget they have these accounts. And then mm -hmm. after 30 days or maybe even after two or three months, they come back and they say, hey, and you've been billing me for two or three months and I haven't even logged in since the first week. So we don't do that anymore. We now have a 14-day trial that does not auto-bill anybody. 
at the end of the trial, they have to all opt in. So we know that when we've closed the deal, that it's actually closed and it's not just, you know, something that we got lucky on and, and we happen to get a customer. The way it looks right now for Outbound, we have these two sales development reps who we have a great uh, list of who we, who we want to target. So like I said, we're still focused on uh, domestic VCs as kind of our sales targets. And so we have a, a pretty good grip on that market. I think we have some pretty good coverage, but we still also have a lot of room to grow. And we have lists of, you know, kind of, here's all the firms we want to get. And we actually send that to Lead Genius. And then Lead Genius comes back and gives us, here's, you know, phone numbers and email addresses and names of all these different people. We tell them we want associates and partners. They come back, they give that to us. And then Max and Thomas do a combination of cold phone, uh, cold calls, and then cold emails to reach out to these people with the goal of just getting meetings on our sales reps calendars. How many uh, meetings does it take to typically land the sale? You know, it can take somewhere in the neighborhood, if it's just a single seat. Um, so we sometimes we sell, I'd say the bulk of our, our sales are still in single seats. But then we also have some deals that are in the neighborhood of, you know, like 20, 30, 40 seats or something like that. If it's a, a single seat, it can take two, three meetings uh, max. And it's usually just one demo where we kind of show them what Mattermark is and also learn a lot about their business so we can kind of figure out if they're really a good fit for us. And then there's usually a follow-up where maybe we're showing it to someone else. Maybe it's the buyer or someone's boss or a coworker. And then the third meeting, if we need to have one, is just like close the deal. If it's a much bigger deal, it can take a couple months. Granted, when you're starting to buy software at that size, it just takes a lot more people and it's a much mm -hmm. bigger decision. What has been kind of the biggest apprehension point for your customers or the biggest question that they've had? And how did you guys deal with it? Yeah, that's a really good question. We had a few really, really good objections one of them that I think that's interesting is that right now, when you think about competition, it's easy to say that we're competing with you know, these six companies, and we do have competitors, but we're really competing for buyers' attention. Mm. So I kind of think about this as I'm kind of the buyer at Mattermark now of a lot of different software, and there's so many people cold emailing me and even cold calling me now trying to sell me software. And oftentimes that stuff just goes you know, when someone in my team comes to me and says, hey, I think we need to buy new software, I'm like, man, this is the last thing I want to do right now is buy something new because we're already spending enough money. And we kind of have the same problem with everyone we're selling to, right? Especially venture capital firms because venture capital firms are already getting pitched to invest in companies and now we're pitching them they need to come buy some software. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of that, that element of there's just a lot of, there's not a lot of time that feels a little bit like a cop-out for what the biggest objection is. So I'm going to come up with another one here. <laughs> Um, well, that's good. I'd love to to even kind of see you as the buyer. Like, what software have you purchased recently, and maybe why did you buy it? So we can kind of see what has broken through that barrier. Because I think everyone faces the same problem, which is how do I get into the right person, and how do I actually convince them to purchase from me? Right. Well, you know, more often than not, when I'm the buyer of software, it's because I sit down and say we have a need. Ah. We, we know that we need something, and I go start a search. And then I will go sign up. So I think that you know, inbound is always the most qualified. Okay. Um, but the other interesting thing is, it, it, for me, that's how it works. But then there's people on my team that will get reached out to by somebody and they'll say, hey, you know, I just did a call with this person because they reached out to me and saying they could help us with this thing that I think we have a problem with. And you know, we might disagree that we have an actual problem that will cost that much money. But let's see. So we'll walk through a couple other ones, a couple that we bought lately. So we just... Um, we're about to pay annually for a, a software called Clara Labs. <clears throat> we were one of the first customers for this company. Um, and what Clara does is they use some really cool machine learning and everything to, uh, to schedule meetings. So I just add this 
this thing, Claudia at mattermark.com and the CC line, anytime I want to schedule a meeting. And Claudia, you, only, you won't even know that it's not a person that's replying back with, here's times Andy's available. And it puts meetings on my calendar and like knows my favorite lunch spot and coffee spot and all of that. Um, and so it's basically like having you know, an executive assistant in the office to schedule all the meetings for everyone at the company. That's really um, cool. And it's easy because you go and you calculate how much money we're spending on it. And at first it seems like a lot. But then you say, okay, well, in order to do the volume that we're doing in terms of scheduling meetings for the company, we'd have to have someone in here full-time. And we're still paying less than, I would, than we'd have to pay someone full-time, and we don't have to manage it. Mm. Um, so that one's pretty easy because it's clearly saving us money, and we're getting a lot more efficiency out at the end of it. And you went out to find them? So we actually this – is, this one's a really interesting one because Danielle actually knows the founder, Marin, and Marin uh, was like – she was – Starting another company, she had done YC uh, before, and Danielle went to her with this problem and was like, hey, I think you should build something. I don't know how specific Danielle was in terms of you know, what she told Marin, but mm-hmm. Danielle went to her with a problem, and Marin started working on this. And then this is kind of the result of it. That's pretty cool. So yeah. that's pretty cool. And Danielle's done that a couple times now where she's like kind of inspired a founder to, to build something. Huh. But uh, so, I, and I don't want to give I don't want to give Danielle too much credit. I think that Marin's really you know been the one dr- driving that over there. But um, that was a pretty cool one. Yeah, that's interesting. So you guys have been growing. You've probably doubled in size in the last year, if not more. Yeah. So let's see. Last year, this time of year, I think we were maybe ten or eleven people, and now we're thirty-one. Wow. Yeah. So what has been the hardest part of that growth, and and kind of managing it as as a co-founder? Yeah, well, there's I think I think there's two things. There's one as a co-founder, you're constantly changing your job and you're kind of always on the lookout to fire yourself and bring in someone who's better at what you're doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so that can be that can be a little bit stressful just because your job changes so much and then you also have to communicate that back to the team, which brings me to my second point, which is once you start to get up to people in the 20s and 30s, you can't just all sit around a table and communicate and all be on the same page anymore. And this is kind of a classic thing that I'm sure you hear from a lot of startups in this stage is you know, we're not a small little team anymore and scaling communication and making sure everyone's on the same page is actually something you have to work pretty hard at. Have you, have you ever not wanted to give up a role? Um, the one that I have right now. Okay. <laughs> the last thing that I worked on, I think that when you and I had talked was I was doing sales, I was yeah, kind of doing yeah. our growth and you know, I was actually pretty good at it, which was a struggle for us all because you know I didn't really want to be doing it. Okay. Um, I like sales. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but it's, man, it is just like, you got to really get into it. And it didn't give me the ability to focus on other parts of the business because I was just, you know, you really have to be on top of sales. You have to have kind of a regimen about hitting the phones at certain times of the day and being up really early in the morning to make sure you catch people on the East coast. And just a lot of the other things that we needed to do in the business, I wasn't able to focus on. And, and so, you know, moving away from sales was hard because I was, you know, closing a lot of deals, just yeah. driving a lot of revenue, but I really needed to go focus on other parts of the business. And then we, now we've hired more uh, sales team members. As you guys are growing, you're changing, you're changing your role. How do you continually decide which part of you that you're going to replace? Yeah, that's a good question. Generally, what we look for is whenever any of the founders are doing real like individual contributor level work, we're trying to find, and it usually takes a little while to find someone who can actually, or whenever that individual contributor work kind of adds up to something that an entire person should probably be doing, um, that's usually time. And there's also certain things that you say, you know, it would be really valuable to have one person wake up and go to sleep thinking about this all day. Mm. Um, for example, 
we just recently promoted our account manager, Lisa, to, to run our whole sales team. And that's because Danielle was managing the entire sales team in addition to being the CEO, which means she probably has about four or five other jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's some things you just need one person to, to really focus on. And there's something that I'm sure we'll need later this year as we become kind of a more of a professionally managed company is we'll probably need someone to be kind of director of finance and really like manage a lot of those things. But I can do a lot of that right now. Mm. Um, and yeah, so like when I was doing sales, I was essentially just trying to come in as an individual contributor and trying to get our sales numbers, you know, really healthy. And, and we did that. But at some point, um, that's not really scalable to have your co-founders just kind of pinch hitting all the time. Right, right. So I'd love to hear, see, I've seen you guys um, kind of publicly talking about selling to kind of startups and founders and and kind of being a tool so that they can uh, discover who to sell to and potential sales targets. And then, but you guys are still very much focused on that, on that VC market. I'd love to hear about how you guys are managing that, you know, taking on a new vertical essentially. Yeah. So this is, this is a really fun one. The best description of what business development actually is that I've ever heard was that business development is kind of like a, a forward deployed scout. Okay. <laughs> so, so you know, you already have kind of a market and for us it was, it was venture capital and, and kind of some of maybe some private equity. We felt like we had a pretty good fit there, but then we were getting a lot of inbound from other markets and other industries. And so part of why I went into sales initially was to kind of figure out what was going on here. I get on the phone with everybody that was not in venture capital. That was kind of, um, my mission last year. And so I did this and I talked to a good bit of you know investment banks. I talked to some really traditional private equity firms. But then I also started talking to a lot of commercial real estate guys that were signing up. And then I started talking to CEOs of companies or heads of sales at companies that were signing up. And we're just trying to figure out what are these people doing? <laughs> okay. Um, because we weren't doing any kind of active targeting to try to sell these people. They were just signing up and they were closing. It was um, almost like people were coming to the conclusion themselves yeah. that this was a tool they could use for this use case when, yeah, you're, it, when it was advertised, it was very much a, an investor tool. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what I really did, and I think this is what you can really call business development, is when you get on the phone and you're just asking a ton of questions. You know, you get a commercial real estate guy on the phone and you say, so tell me about, you know, what your issues are. Tell me about your day-to-day, how you're finding new clients. And they'll just start to tell you what is really frustrating and then, in kind of how they've been using Mattermark, and then suddenly you realize you've got a whole new use case on your hand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're kind of sitting there like, wow, okay, this is really, really interesting. And something else that we saw was that uh, the revenue for this sort of other, these, uh, these other groups of customers was growing really fast, and we weren't doing anything with it. Hmm. And to this day, I mean, we're still focused on building product and actively selling to the, the domestic VC market, but we're still spending a lot of time with these other customers because they're still signing up and uh, we're spending a lot of time just talking to them and closing some bigger deals on that side. And all the product that we're building happens to be valuable for all these different groups of customers. So you guys don't actually have to segment the product or build specific use cases for, for them? We don't, we don't yet. And, and maybe we will, maybe we won't. But right now, it, everyone, everyone kind of seems to be able to get the same value. Something that we really focused on is building Mattermark around companies. Okay. So I talk about commercial real estate firms sometimes because what these guys do is they use Mattermark because we have a really great employee, uh, we have a really great data on employee count. Yeah. And when you have data on employee count, what commercial real estate guys use is they know that you're looking for roughly like 150 square feet per employee. 
And once you go up past a certain size, they know that they're not going to fit in their current space anymore. And they can look at growth trajectories and say, I'm going to reach out to this company way before any other guy because I know that they're going to need space soon. And usually it's, you know, the, the commercial real estate guys will reach out after you raise a, a round of funding, and, but you'll get hit up by like 10 of them. And so you just archive their emails. It, right. <laughs> How do you guys manage the sales then when you're selling to so many different people? Do you have different pitches for them since you now know what they're looking for when they, because you've done the business development? Do they have kind of scripts that they go over, your sales guys? Not really, not really scripts. Um, our sales team is really close knit. Mm. So we actually have... <laughs> We have this. We have a secret room behind a bookshelf in our office, okay. that, uh, and it's it's we're in Weebly's old space, and they installed this. Um, and so back there, we have sort of like a bar space, and these guys, our sales guys, are down there every day after you know six o'clock, and they're sitting there and they're strategizing on deals. They're sharing information. This is not something that we have asked them to do. It's just something that's happened organically. And they're sitting down there talking about, well, I was talking to this real estate guy, or I was talking to this. Uh, you know, big software company that's trying to get Mattermark for their sales team. And this is what they're thinking. And so right now the sales team is small enough where I don't think we really need to come up with a ton of scripts and all of that. They really share a lot of information pretty organically. And I think they kind of know that, you know, one guy is really good at, at one type of deal. Another person is really good at a certain type of deal. And yeah, so right now we don't need to have a ton of process around it. As we grow the team, I'm sure that we will need to. And that's kind of an internal question right now where we're seeing the numbers of we're driving a lot of revenue from the sales and, and business development or lead gen case. And maybe we should focus on that a little bit more in terms of outbound. But at, at the end of the day, also, we're still getting a lot of inbound from it that we can barely handle. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's awesome to hear about a sales team that actually works together. Do you guys, what kind of commission structure do you guys have that supports that? Yeah. So we have a, basically each one of the reps has an incentive to close a monthly deal and then they have a bigger incentive to close annual deals and then they have team incentives to hit our monthly targets. In that way, you know, everyone kind of wants to reach across and say, hey, in order to hit this monthly goal, we all want to make sure everyone's uh, kind of on track. And I don't think we've done anything really, really explicitly to build the kind of camaraderie that that team has, but I think that they all really feel like they are in this together. And um, there's a couple of the salespeople that are a little bit more senior and they kind of are always trying to help the more, the more junior people. And I think we just hired good people, honestly. That <laughs> seems that, to be the key on most, <laughs> right? Is, I, I yeah. think that we could try to credit it to a lot of process and things that we built, but I think that we just hired some really good people who care about other people. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's amazing. And you're dealing with the hiring now, right? Yes. So yep. can you, can you, Give us any insight into what you're looking for when you're looking to bring people onto the team beyond like the their base skill matches the position. Yeah, definitely. So let's see. We have a whole process. Um, but one of the most important things that we look for in a hire is their customer focus. So something that we think that is a tremendous advantage for us is how much we care about our customers, which sounds kind of like a trope on the surface, but if you really dive into it, okay. um, there are a lot of people in the technology industry who get really excited about working on new technologies or something really exciting, but the new technology isn't actually very useful to anybody. So I have a, a portrait in our office of Thomas Edison sitting with his first patent, which <laughs> is a, I think it's like an electronic, or not, not even electronic, it's a mechanical voting machine for Congress. And when he brought this machine to Congress, uh, Congress said, young man, something like this, young man, if, 
if there is one invention in the world that we do not want, it is this. Because, <laughs> because it made voting more efficient and prevented them from filibustering. And so he said at that point, he's like, I will never again create something that people don't want. And I think that there's a lot of stuff being built that's really interesting and exciting to work on, but it's not really something that people need or even that they want. Um, and so something that we really, really interviewed for hard is that people are focused on getting something out there to customers. And on our sales team side, if, if our product isn't the right fit for someone that we're talking to, then it's not the right thing for us to sell to them. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. <laughs> I feel like we could do a, a whole drunk history episode around that. That's, that sounds yeah, really good. <laughs> definitely. We have, we have uh, something that we also put in office. I have these portraits of all these uh, inventors and scientists and with little quotes that all kind of speak to a certain value that we have as a company. Mm. But yeah, as far as interviewing for, for great hires, I mean, it's kind of, I mentioned before, we actually have one of our values is just be a good person. <laughs> like okay. It seems really table stakes, but anytime in the interviewing process, if any one person says, you know what, I'm getting kind of like a jerk vibe, then we cut it. Interesting. So everyone's got to be able to work together. We want people to really you know, care about each other as, as people because we're in this as a team and, and we're going to be doing this for a long time. Let's see, one other thing that we really interview for is taking a software approach to problems. Okay. So I think there's a lot of uh, companies out there, especially in our space with, space with data collection that just have teams of you know, hundreds of people that are calling on companies and collecting data by hand. Um, and that might, might work for a few hundred thousand for a few hundred thousand companies, but we're trying to do this for, you know, a hundred million companies one day. <laughs> and you're right. not going to be able to call a hundred million companies with any size number of people. So you're going to have to be able to build software to collect this data and solve these problems. That's really the only way about it. Very cool. So you're looking for people to solve that in a new and unique way, or mm-hmm. they could potentially think about how they could solve it in a new and unique way. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that I've been excited about what the potential for Mattermark in the future, I mean, you just mentioned that you guys have, you know, a long plan here is the editorial side. And I was wondering if you guys had any kind of feedback on that or, or, or plans to start moving in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. So you mean in terms of like, in terms of more content that we create uh, with our data? Yeah, I think like Danielle's <laughs> talked about even taking on TechCrunch and like one of the inspirations for starting the company. And so I was curious if you guys were, were looking at more of the storytelling angle behind the data. Yeah, so that's constantly something that we're interested in. Yeah, when you talk about killing <laughs> TechCrunch or taking on TechCrunch, I think that, we, that more came up from a frustration. Of we, we thought that there was a, an opportunity to be telling really rich stories about what companies were doing. Mm-hmm. But there's just not a lot of information about businesses that's readily available. And that's something that kind of our long-term vision is, if you go to Google today, and you can ask Google a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. You can say, hey, Google, uh, what's the closest coffee shop? Or you know, what, tell me about Thomas Edison or whatever. And you get answers. And that's really one of the amazing parts about Google is that you actually get answers. But there's so many things that you can ask Google and not get an answer to. And almost all those things, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them revolve around questions about businesses, companies, markets, et cetera. And what we kind of see ourselves building long-term is this sort of, I mean, I guess you could call it kind of a search engine for business data. But on the content side, someone has to curate that information once you get it, right? So we're, we're collecting all of this data and then there's the analysis side that we've done kind of with the startup traction report and a few of the reports that we put out. And I think that we'll start to do a lot more of that. Um, one of the fun things about uh, having Lisa take over sales here is that now Danielle can focus on marketing. Mm-hmm. And 
what I think is really cool is everyone out there in the world gets the kind of has this, not everyone, but a lot of people have this opinion that Danielle is this incredible marketer and she is. Um, but she's really only been spending something like a 16th of her time on marketing at Mattermark. Wow. And so maybe an eighth. Uh, <laughs> and now she's about ready to spend half her time on marketing. Um, okay. And so I think everyone better get ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exciting to hear. Yes. Yeah. That startup traction report was fantastic. And the more that you guys do with that, I, I feel like, man, there's, there's just so much value to be created there. So it's exciting. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, we've got another pretty cool one that uh, will be will be coming out in June. Okay, uh, so you can look forward to that one. Nice, nice. So, well, Andy, where can we keep up with you and Mattermark online? Yeah, the best thing to do is follow Mattermark on Twitter. Sign up for the Mattermark Daily. We got a great newsletter for those of you that don't follow it. The Mattermark Daily curates articles from founders and operators at startups, and also articles from investors. I think it's a great way for anyone to start to dip their toes into the startup world and just learn a lot about the conversations that are happening. Uh, but it's also great. I mean, I still read it every once in a while um, at the end of the day and kind of get up to speed on what everyone's talking about. So that's great. Follow Mattermark on Twitter. We have a great blog as well. And then uh, you can follow me at SparksZilla on Twitter. You know, I tweet every once in a while. And um, Otherwise, if anyone, you can also just reach out to any of us on, on email. I can't guarantee we'll get back to you in a timely manner, but we'll try to. I'm just Andy at Mattermark.com. Very cool. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Andy. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. This was a ton of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Looking for more entrepreneurial content? Check out the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast, where they talk to Mark Roberge about growing and scaling a sales team. What's HubSpot? Inbound marketing software. What's inbound marketing? You create content. It's just like this evangelistic deal. So every environment, depending on who you're selling to, the complexity, it will, you know, will tailor to a different type of salesperson. Sure. But the process to actually engineer your ideal hire is the same. And that's what I went through was I documented my theory of the 10 criteria that I thought would correlate in our environment. I was disciplined about defining what each one was, what a score of a one, a three, a five, a seven, a 10 would be, and disciplined about scoring every candidate and every hire against that criteria. And you know, even when you're three, four, five hires in, now you've got a foundation to work off of where two of those folks are just exceptional sure. and a couple are mediocre. You can now go back and reflect and ask yourself, what's the common patterns here on the great folks? What doesn't seem to matter? What's common about the bad folks? And what am I missing? Sure. And you can iterate, iterate, iterate and get down to that form. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And make sure to check out our app discount section where we feature discounts from amazing companies like Treehouse, Wistia, Woo Themes, all giving you exclusive discounts for being a Rocket Ship listener. So go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials.